In Psalm 103, we want to spend a little time this morning, and we may not complete this, but we want to say a few things because this truly is a psalm for the church. It's a psalm of thanksgiving for the church. And it begins with two verses of scripture that they almost repeat each other, but they're not redundant in the sense of don't have your prayers repeat all the time. This is a psalm where there is not one petition made in it. It is all filled with thanksgiving to God for various aspects of our life, our salvation, our hope in Christ Jesus. It begins this way, a psalm of David, and he's the inspired writer. He knew that he was an inspired writer. He knew that he couldn't write what he was writing unless the Holy Spirit come upon him, and he shares that as uh, in the time when he gave his last words there in 1 Samuel. He understood that the Holy Spirit had to come upon him and give him the words to say that were recorded. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This psalm is just an overflowing of the deepest gratitude by one who represents you and I as believers. David and many others were used in the scriptures to give us a type and a shadow and a picture of believers. And this is where we are when we find ourselves brought out of a horrible pit and set on a solid rock. We have a heart of gratitude. We have a heart of thanksgiving. And that's what we find in this great psalm. The words of this psalm are given to someone who knew about grace, knew something about the gospel of grace, and knew something about free and sovereign grace. He had been chosen out of his family to be where he was. And uh, the Holy Spirit caused this person to recognize where all blessings flow from, and that is Jehovah. Now, in this psalm, it's a fairly short psalm, and, and 11 times in this psalm is the word Jehovah used. And it is characterized by those four letters, and they're all capitals, and it's the word Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, Jehovah is the proper name of the one true God. It's his proper name. And it has been shared with us that the Jews would not even say that name. And since they didn't say that name, we've lost exactly how it is pronounced. Some of the newer people call it Yahweh. I'm going to stick with the old way, call, it, call him Jehovah. Eleven times in this chapter do we find that name. And David was used to acknowledge exactly who he had received all his benefits from. This name is written out a few times in the scripture as Jehovah. But I'd like to look at three places in the Old Testament, three places in the Old Testament where this name is written out as Jehovah. And the first one is found here also in the Psalms, and it's in Psalm 83 and verse 18. And it certainly does share with us a great deal about the nature of this one and only true God. The one that David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Here in Psalm 83 and there in verse 18, we read these words, 
that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. This is how Jehovah reveals himself, that he is the most high over all the earth, that he is the most holy over all the earth. He is the most sovereign over all the earth. And so as David uses this name by inspiration, the Holy Spirit brings this to his attention that it is Jehovah is the one that he is to give blessings to. Bless the Lord, bless Jehovah, O my soul, and every part of my being. May he also bless Jehovah. In the book of Isaiah chapter 12, we also find this name as it's spelled out. It's not just capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I just recently found out that there is a new translation coming out of the King James, and they're supposedly putting all the Jehovah's back in it. I don't know how to get all of it. I, I just was told about it. But that would be an interesting translation. All right, here in the book of Isaiah chapter 12, we read these words about Jehovah. Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2, the scripture says, Behold, God is my salvation. What a wonderful thing it is for a person to depend wholly, completely upon the blood and righteousness of God as their whole salvation. No works are involved. No feelings are involved. No experiences involved. It is God and God alone. And not be afraid. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. The person that wrote this realized that he was not saved from his birth. The person who wrote this was convinced that there was a time in his life that God revealed himself to him. And so we're not saved all of our life. We find out in the covenant of grace. In God's mind, yes. But in our mind, no. There must be the gospel preached. There must be the application of the gospel. There must be a quickening. There must be a resurrection that takes place. And when that happens, we will acknowledge Jehovah. We will acknowledge the Lord. Oh, Lord, what will you have me to do? Is what the Apostle Paul said on the road to Damascus. And finally, here in the book of Isaiah, another passage of Scripture that uses that word Jehovah. I might say that. It says, say this. There in chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Lord Jehovah... Both of them are, are in capitals. That word Lord there is the first part of the name Jehovah, Yah, Jah. So we have Jehovah, Jehovah. <laughs> All right, Isaiah 26. In Isaiah chapter 26, we have this verse of scripture with regard to the name of Jehovah. Trust ye in the Lord. That's the only one that has the power to keep us. The only one that has the power to save us is this God, this Jehovah. Verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 26. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now this is who David is writing about. This is who the Holy Spirit will always write about. The Holy Spirit will never speak of a lesser God. The Holy Spirit will never speak of a God that is trying to do something. The Holy Spirit will always reveal Jehovah, will always reveal the Lord God, will always reveal the God of the Word of God. And as we look at this, we find from cover to cover, the scriptures share with us about a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all 
that we can ask or think. How great is that? As far as the heavens are above the earth, do we find that? On our way back to the book of the Psalms, stop with me at the book of Ezekiel. I know that's in the opposite direction, but if you'd stop with me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 36, we find again in this wonderful chapter 36 of the book of Ezekiel, and, and the book of Ezekiel is just filled with symbolisms about our new birth, types and shadows, declarations about the new birth, and how it is that God does this. And here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36 and verse 26, we find the heart that could write what we read in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and with all that is in with me, bless his holy name. What do we read here in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26? A new heart also will I give you. Now that's Old Testament verse of scripture that shares with us what God does as he reads revealed it to Nicodemus. You must be born again. A new heart will I give you. Now the old heart is worthless. The old heart is desperately wicked. The old heart is incurably wicked. And this heart that God gives us is a heart that is created by God far out of our ability to do anything. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit indwells all of God's people. He doesn't make the flesh any better. That will take place when he comes again and raises us or trans translates us if we're alive when he comes. But that will take place then. We still have this old wicked flesh that we carry around, the old tent that we have. But that which is in, within us is of God. That which is in, in us is what God looks at and says, you are mine, you are perfect, you have no flaws. We look at it differently, but God said, and trust God, he's in charge of this. A new heart, I'll take out the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. What a statement. And that whole chapter deals with this very thing. I will do, and I will do, and I will do, and I will do, and then what we do, then you'll remember your own wickedness. All right, let us go back over there to Psalm 103 for just a moment. And we read in this passage of scripture, what a wonderful statement. It is truly, this Psalm 103, like so many of the Psalms, Psalm 103 is truly soul music. This is true soul music. This is the soul of David crying out in Psalm 103, there in verse one, what statement, verse one and two, it says there, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now this, the rest of the psalm, is much like what we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. When he talks about all spiritual blessings, all spiritual gifts, and then he gives us a long list, not all, not complete, because we find them everywhere in the scriptures, but he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. This is an exceptional gift of God that he would choose a people before the foundation of the world, before the fall, he would choose a people and put their names in the Lamb's book of life. And then he goes on down with some more blessings and more blessings. Well, as we look here in Psalm 103, we find that the Holy Spirit does the same for us. 
The benefits of God. The ben- Let me talk about the benefits of God is what the writer goes on to say here. For it tells us in verse 2, who forgiveth. Now I want to be in that number. Who forgiveth all mine or all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now this is what God does for everyone that he regenerates. We find out the cross is where Jesus Christ died and laid down his life a ransom for many. And we look back at that and say, hallelujah. But did you know what? Every saint prior to that time could look and say, hallelujah. He has forgiven me all my sins and trespasses too. He has taken my sin, as we're going to find out in this chapter in Psalm 103. He has taken my sin as far as the east is from the west. We look back on that and say, hallelujah. Guess what Abel was able to do too? He could look ahead and say, hallelujah. Even though he didn't have Psalm 103. He was able to realize by the grace of God that all his sin, as it tells us there, forgiveth all thy iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. God Almighty's purpose of grace is to put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. What a blessing we read here. All the works shall praise thy name, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Now, it doesn't give us a word in here about praising him. It just gives us a word about blessing him. The heavens declare the glory of God, and they praise his name. But what do saints do? Now, we do praise him. But here in this psalm, we bless him. What does that word bless mean? It means to bow. Did you know that every believer bows? Every believer bows to the king. What will you have me do? Not one person stays up on one leg. Every knee shall bow. And that means bless. We will bless his holy name by bowing. And Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's God's going to do that for his children in this life, and he will do that for everyone else in the life to come. You will bow. This blessed, this word blessed means to kneel. To bless God is to, an act of adoration and thanksgiving. And, and this word carries with it the implication it is self that kneels, not someone else. We are kneeled. It isn't because my dad or my mother bowed. It is because God bowed me. It isn't because some preacher bowed. It is because God bowed me. It's an individual thing that God does for his people. We bow before him and we're able to say, as Psalmist David did, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And some of his benefits are summed up in verse 3 of this psalm, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who forgiveth everything until iniquity is forgiven, Healing, redemption, and satisfaction with Christ's blood and righteousness are unknown. We don't have any idea what that means. We cannot comprehend it until, first of all, the Lord forgiveth our iniquities. And when he forgives our iniquities, then we comprehend what it is to bow. 
to come before him in adoration, to come before him in thanksgiving. We do not come before him with our enmity. We did that all our life before the Lord come to us. But after the Lord saves us, our enmity is put away. He carried it away and we're able to bow. Notice that the pardon granted is present pardon. Forgive us. It is an ongoing forgive us. Forgive us, it is continually. It is continual. It is a continual, the Lord forgiveth our iniquities. Aren't you glad they just don't, he just said, well, at the day of your salvation, I've taken care of that, but the rest of that, you're going to have to work out really hard. Because he knew we could not. He said, I will forgive us today. And when tomorrow comes, I will forgive us. And when the next day comes, I will forgive us. His grace, his mercy, and his righteous blood forgiveth all our iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. Now, some people would immediately say, see, he's going to heal all my sicknesses. He heals our soul sicknesses. He heals our soul sickness. It's sick unto death. It is dead in trespasses and sin. But you know what? Sometimes God is pleased to heal us of our infirmities. If he chooses to do that, that's his business. I've known of people, well, if we have faith, if we just have faith enough, we can take care of this. And then the person gets sick anyway and dies. You know, that's not how God works. It's not by our faith, it's by his purpose. His purpose of grace. We may all go out of here in good health, and we may all go out of here in poor health. We may have the worst disease possible, or he may keep us like he has many, and we just pass over in good health. But that depends on God and not us. Now, eat right, get plenty of exercise, and all the things that the doctor tells us to do. But our time is in his hand. When it comes time, we cannot last a second longer and we'll not go a second soon. So, but this disease, that's really, he's talking about our soul disease. And then in verse 4, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. You know, there's so much in here, the benefits of the Lord just continually mount up, <laughs> they continually overwhelm. To be forgiven, and yet we get more? To have our diseases taken, our soul diseases taken care of, and then we have more. No wonder the church is called on to be thankful for all the mercies of God. And then, who redeemeth thy life from destruction? By purchase and by power of the Lord redeems us from the spiritual death which we deserved. We fell in Adam. But eternal death, which we deserve, he redeems us from. He that redeemed us has delivered us from going down into the pit. You know, Job had something to say about this in Job 33. Would you turn back there one book to the book of Job chapter 33? And there in verse 34, the only reason that we have been redeemed from going down into the pit is I have found, notice with me here, in Job chapter 33 and verse 34, what is the only reason that God says that he has prevented us from going down into the pit? 
in Job chapter uh, chapter 33 and verse 34. Uh-oh. Maybe that's it. Well, it talks about going down into a pit and preventing us from going down into the pit. Thirty-three twenty-four. All right. Thank you. I'll make that correction. It says here, Then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. Why? I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. Now, who's the ransom? We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. We know him properly as Jehovah. For the Lord in the Jesus Christ in the New Testament is Jehovah in the Old Testament, the only true and living God. Here, I have found a ransom. Deliver him from going down into the pit. Stop, stop, stop on his way. And I found a ransom. And the ransom pays the price of the debt that was owed. And so we are so thankful. He has dealt with us after his mercy, and he crowneth us. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. There's a lost son mentioned in one of the parables, and I just want to read a very short part of that in the book of Luke. The book of Luke, as we think about the Lord dealing with us and redeeming thy life from destruction. Here in the book of Luke chapter 15, we have these words recorded. Chapter 15, verse 17, it tells us here, and when he had come to himself, a lost son, because the father is going to say, that which was dead is now alive. Now when the father says that, we're going to take his word for it. All right. And when he had come to himself, he says, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish without hu with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. Now, what caused him to leave where he was? What caused him to leave eating pig food? What caused him to leave that life? Somebody had said something about mercy at home. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'll say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am not worthy to be called thy son. Make me a, one of the hired servants. Truly, a new heart has been given to the lost son. He's not asking for an inheritance. He's already spent his. He's not asking for anything. Just make me a hired servant. And it says, and the set, and he, and in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he saw was yet a great way off, his father saw him. It's interesting, probably every day the father was out at the head of the lane. You know, that's God Almighty watching over every one of his children. He's always at the head of the lane, and when it's the appropriate time, he says there when he was a long, great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, what the guy had to say is going to be set aside. 
Bring forth the best robe. You know, God Almighty gives us the best robe, and that's the robe of righteousness. Imputed righteousness of our great Savior. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Shod with the preparation of the gospel of grace. And a ring, you're my family. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Who was disturbed by this whole thing? The next verse, a brother that's religious. He's disturbed. I've stayed with you all this time. You've never done that for me. I would that you'd pray for my twin brother. When I told him I was saved, his comment was, are you telling me that by asking Jesus into my heart, I am not saved? And I said, I never said a word except I've been saved. And that's when we went like that. It would be great to have spiritual fellowship with me. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The best robe, the ring, the shoes. And the, for in verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. What a time. Well, David is just telling us what it's like to make merry. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let me be merry in my Savior, the Lord Jesus, in Jehovah. He has taken care of my sin issues. He has taken care of that. A ransom was found. Let's go back to the book of the Psalms, Psalm 103. And as we look here at a little bit more of this wonderful psalm, we find out the more benefits that the God of heaven has for all of his children. They're not set apart and sanctioned off because of what they had before they were saved. We're all in one great assembly, assembled at the feet of the Lord Jesus, all singing praises unto him and saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless his holy name. Here in Psalm 103 and there in verse 5, it says, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Satisfied. You know, if you're satisfied, you're not looking for something else. I had a wonderful breakfast this morning. Guess what? There was a whole bunch left there, and I just left it alone. I was satisfied. If you're satisfied, you're not looking for something else. Now, people that just can't be satisfied, just cannot settle down, they probably never met the satisfier. But the satisfier settles us, and we just cannot go back to where we were. The Apostle Paul spent most of his ministry sharing with people why he could not go back to religion. Sharing with people why he could not be a Jew like that again. He shared with them because of Christ, because of grace, because of salvation, because of what God did for me. I bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. He takes care and satisfies us. 
If God has satisfied you, you will no longer keep looking. You will look to him on a continuous basis. One satisfied with Christ cannot go back. Whatever age we be when Christ saves us, our strength is also renewed. You know, we find out without strength, we're without strength. We thought we had strength. We thought we could pray. You know, I was just visiting this morning. We'd think the simplest thing that we can do would be able to be praying to God. And then we find out God shared with us, we know not what to pray for as we ought, but my Holy Spirit will take care of that. The simplest thing. And yet we can't do it on our own. Well, he has raised his people from the dead. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in the courts. We shall be satisfied with goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Psalm 65 and verse 4. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. What God does is satisfies. Oh, to be satisfied with his word. To wake up in the morning and be satisfied with his word. To go to bed at night satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done. Not looking for a second blessing. You know what? I'm still enjoying my 9,750,000th blessing. It's an everyday blessing of the Lord. It's this idea that I'm going to get a second blessing and get a better view of God. You know what? They haven't got the first blessing yet. The first blessing takes care of everything. All right. Verse 6. Going right to verse 6, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are pressed. Oh, the benefits of grace, the benefits of the Lord. We find ourselves blessing the Lord for all his benefits to others. Red and yellow, black and white. I love hearing our brother Lance talk about the work in New Guinea. Because those folks... Even though we can't understand a word they say and they can't understand me, we're brothers and sisters in Christ because we look to the same Lord. And you know what they say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Why? Because whoever God saves, we have the same enjoyment. We have the same blessings. Verse 7, he made known his ways unto Moses. You know, this morning we got, had that read over there in the book of Exodus. How did God make his ways known unto Moses? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He made his way known unto Moses. Now, yes, he visited with him face to face. He was called a friend of God. But what was that that really was the heart and core of it all? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Whom I bless, I will bless. And the Apostle Paul was used to capture this verse of Scripture and take it over to the book of Romans and share the same thing and then share with us, for this very reason have I raised thee up, Pharaoh, that I might show my power in you. All these that we read about, Moses, and then it goes on in that same verse of Scripture, his acts unto the children of Israel. 
What in the world would he bring up the axe to the children of Israel for? Because in the Old Testament, they were a picture of his elect. He didn't have the elect, the Hittites or the Hivites or the Jebusites. He had an elect people called Israel. He had chosen Abraham. He chose his son. He chose his grandson. He chose 12 of the tribe of Israel. And then he had all these folks that symbolized and pictured the elect from the foundation of the world. And then we find that in, out of that whole group, there were a group of them that were Israel, and the Gentiles that God intended to save are adopted into that same group. What does it mean there then? He showed his acts unto the children of Israel. What did he do for the children of Israel? He gave up the glory that he had with the Father before the world was for the children of Israel, the true children of Israel. He came down to this earth and was born of a virgin, laid in a manger. What was it to have the confinements of flesh imposed upon him that he might suffer death for all his people? Slain on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, and then gloriously resurrected this is the acts that he did for the children of Israel. And then returned to the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the children of Israel. And so on one hand he says, Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And to the children of Israel, you are mine. True Israel, my children, the elect, that were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. You know, as we read through the book of Genesis, Abraham down through time, the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we have a message that God had to the children of Israel, which is the message of the gospel. Every sacrifice pictured Christ. All of the tabernacle and the temple pictured Christ. All of those things, the wanderings and God's overseeing them, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, everything as he said, his acts unto the children of Israel. Most people just look, I wonder what happened over there. You know, we find in the scriptures, some people say, oh, they heard what was, they thought was thunder. Well, it was impressive, but it wasn't impressive enough. The word spoken to the heart, the resurrected heart, is important. And then it tells us there in the next verse, in verse 8 and 9, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Aren't you thankful? He poured out his anger on his son, the Lord Jesus, and paid every debt that was owed. And then the measurement. The measurement of his mercy. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then God gave him a list of things to be thankful for. And here in verse 11 and 12, the measurement of his mercy and the measurement of his forgiveness. In verse 11, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Measure that. Come to an agreement about the measurement of the mercy of God. It is 
immeasurable. You can't get there from here. There's not a yardstick long enough. Oh, we got those, those new things. I can put it up here on this uh, podium and shoot it against the wall and come back and say, well, that's uh, 47 feet, three and a half inches. But you can't measure the mercy of God. And then in the next verse of Scripture, it says, As far as the east is from the west, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How far did he put away our sin? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. We can't look around and grab a hold of them. They're taken away. They're paid for. It's much better to realize they were paid for and there's no debt owed. Blood paid for the sin debt. You got a bill, you pay it, you don't owe it anymore. We had a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus Christ did not owe a debt, but he paid it. He paid all our sin debt by his own blood and that allows us to read here and rejoice in his benefits as far as the east is from the west is so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And then in verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children. A lot of people I've met in my life that call God father, but they've never had any birth from him. Having a father means there was someone that bore us. But to call God father and not have a birth, that's not appropriate. I don't walk up to someone else and call him by the name of father with the reverence that I would have for my own. I may call him that out of kindness or call him that because he's been great to me. But there's only one that brought me into this world. And so it is with God the Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That Father gendered us. That Father brought us. That Father birthed us. We have been begotten by him. And so it's no wonder that this father pitieth his children. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. To have God as father is to know him as giving us the new birth. Knowing him to raising us to new life. Knowing him that raised us from death into life. Knowing him in that capacity. It was because of him and nothing that I had to do. It was because of him. I don't know how many people I've asked this question. How much did you have to do with your physical birth? And you know what? Everybody has answered the same. But when it comes to spiritual birth, people have been involved in it from the very beginning. Not God's spiritual birth. God's spiritual birth is not that way. It is Him and Him alone that genders us, begotten of the Father. And so we have a Father. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Look what He's done. Look the reason we have to give thanks. There in verse 14 and 15, He knoweth our frame. That's one of the kindest things we could read about. He, know, he knows us. He told a man, he says, I knew you before over there by that fig tree. You know what? 
He's known his folks from, from the foundation of the world. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as the flower of the field that flourishes. Oh my goodness, did you read that? We're just like a flower. When we were out elk hunting, I saw a lot of the last flowers coming out. They're trying hard to get some seeds out before winter comes. The last flower. But you know what? They're going to give up. The life will be over. As a flower, we grow up, approach old age, gone. But did you know what? It says in verse 16, For the wind passeth over it, and it's gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. Uh, you ever go through a graveyard and say, We'll never forget. You can't find anybody to remember. <laughs> we'll never forget. Oh, yes, we do. We do forget. But look at the next one. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting. He goes from a group of people that are so finite so finite, so they're going to be born, they're going to live, and they're going to die. So finite. And then he jumps right across and says, Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, because he is everlasting. He never dies. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments and do them. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. What a contrast from a fading flower to the everlasting God. You're like a flower fading. You are everlasting. What a contrast. And you know what? He is mindful of his people. Mindful of them. He's mindful to give them the birth. He's mindful to watch over them. He's mindful to care for them. He's mindful to give them everlasting life. He's mindful to lead them through their life. He's mindful to be with them in their last breath. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And to such that keep them that fear him. You know, naturally we're at enmity with God. By grace we reverence him. By grace we do what exactly the psalmist David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Oh, what reason we have to be thankful. He's mindful of his people. He forgiveth, he redeemeth, he satisfieth, he executeth righteousness and judgment. He makes his ways unto Moses. What did he tell Moses? I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And his acts are to the children of Israel. Read the book of 1 Corinthians. You know what? He's re we're reading about the acts to the children of Israel. Read the book of Ephesians. We're reading the acts to the children of Israel. Read Exodus and Leviticus. He will ne not hold, he said he will keep his Neither will he keep his anger forever. He poured it out upon his son. And then the measurement. For as high as heaven above the earth, so great is his mercy 
And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. And then he said, I am my people's father, and I pity you. I hold you. Flowers pass away, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Be ye thankful. Brother Mike.